0: Hi guys, I'm Hrithip Gupta, one of the founders of Zoom Media and Foxy Bodon.
1: If you Google the top 10 advertising agencies in India, you will see that all of them are subsidiaries of foreign companies. There is not a single agency in the list which is 100% Indian-owned. In this conversation with Prateek Gupta the co-founder of the Zoo Media Network of agencies your host Akshay Dad digs deep into the business of building and scaling marketing agencies while still in college Prateek and his friends started doing marketing projects for companies which led to the formation of Foxymoron which is among India's leading creative and performance marketing agencies in this freewheeling conversation, Pratik shares his decade-and-half-long journey of building a marketing agency from scratch, facing near-death experiences, and how they are now on track to build a global ad agency network from India. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast and any audio streaming app to learn how to build global businesses from India.
0: I grew up in a joint family of full Red blood, Punjabi family, principles, values, respect. These were things that we would get told off in, right? And I am hyper-competitive as a human being. Like for me, everything is have we started playing a game? Because playing a game is where my natural switch-on button is. So my grandfather came from Jabu and Kashmir. uh, His house was next to what is currently P O K and and we had like farmland over there which is now under a under a big dam. I really wanted to do biotechnology. I got into a college in Singapore on a full scholarship to do it and I stayed back and I didn't go and I started doing management. So I didn't have a clear path, but I very quickly knew the skill sets I was very good at. I was good at lots of things. I used to keep joking about Jack of all trades, master of none. But like really advertising is, is one place that That really appreciates that. Like I have the ability to look at things from a different lens. So
2: I can see that just before starting Zoom Media, you were working at Balaji in a sales role. Why did you decide to take up a job while you were still studying? I started Soxy when I was still studying.
0: I went to Dhirubhai Money in the 11th and 12th, which I think really shaped who I ended up becoming. Because IB was a course that that changed my thinking versus like what we learn from a rote point of view. So, when I went back to college, it just seemed like a breeze. Like, I was like, listen, I can study for two days before the exam and still make it, and nobody will feel a pinch. And I really wanted to do something with my thigh. And we had these college festivals, and I ended up selling the title sponsorship to Balaji Telefilms. And I really didn't think that they should have bought it because it made no marketing sense for them to have bought it. So, I waited for that check to clear. And then I called up the guy and I said, Bro, why did you buy this? Like, I really want to understand. Like, just curiosity. And he called me in and he gave me a job, and I said, Cool, I'll do it. Like, like there is no there's no harm in learning. And I spent about three to six months. It was not really a sales job, it was it was developing new IPs and then selling them internally. So It was IP development. And I promise you, I didn't know what IP meant. Like, I did not know what intellectual property meant. And for me, it was just about coming up with new creative concepts with the assets that Manajji has. At that point in time, the actors, actresses, cheapest production house in the country to produce content. So there was lots going on for Manajji. So you were like, you were pitching show ideas to
2: people there? Like,
0: We started off by doing like a tandem division. Then we wanted to do a few concerts, we wanted to do... Earth Live, we wanted to do other things apart from what their normal programming is. So this was like a division for new initiatives as opposed to anything. But it was great learning because I got exposed to so many things. For us, the favorite thing was that 7.30pm when we used to all sit and watch audition tapes. I think those are the funniest things that that you can (laughs) ever watch.
2: Was that the trigger for starting Foxy like Nets did that but Foxy Murad
0: had no trigger legitimately there was no reason so my business partner and I so we we went to Pakistan together for a model United Nations so we took the Samjhauta Express spent all of 37 rupees and went the land route from Delhi to Lahore and it's very intimidating with the kind of history our countries share it was not hostile by any means when you went there but preconceived notions your preconceived notions I mean there were 12 or 14 of us and all of us became very close because those two or three weeks that really got sweet and we very, very close and we continued to remain in touch. We did a lot of college festivals. He was in HR, I was in Sydenham. So we used to keep competing and we had a common group of friends who were the people that we went to this Lahore United Nations for. And basis that, I think that summer, I just gave him a call and I said, listen, let's do something, boss. This if trip is not going to cut it, man, because in the time of where I mean, digital was nothing, honestly, back then. But in the time of the internet, as we used to say it, people are still teaching us how to send faxes and that's what they're expecting us to do in internship. Let's do something a little bit more constructive. He used to work as a as a copywriter in Indian Express or as a journalist in Indian Express. He had a few things happening. Like there was another business partner of ours who used to make websites. We said, we'll just come together for these three months and, and see where it goes. Like, like our intent was not to start a company. Our intent was not to do anything. Our intent was just to have a productive summer but you know so we come from a lawyer family and I say this often He need to sign a partnership deal like he said if you're doing it then we must formally sign something and it really triggers something in your head like signing something really authenticates the depth of what you're getting into I think that if you had not signed that piece of document you know we would have all just disbanded at the end of three months and come back but you know when we signed that piece of document it almost felt like shit we're running a business. We're running a company. And I promise you, I'm not making this up. We had no business plan. We had no services. We just had a very cool name. And we knew we wanted to do something in communications. And that's about it. you know. And this was before entrepreneurs were cool, the startup ecosystem, unicorns, none of this stuff was even a thing. So, we didn't walk in there wanting to be entrepreneurs. So
2: when you say you wanted to do something in communications, I mean, you are saying this with the benefit of hindsight. Like an 18-year-old kid doesn't know communications. Like what is that field all about? Like, did you have some idea that what you want to pitch? And or I mean, essentially, you wanted to get some money from doing a project. That's what it was. I, for the longest time, till the time I realized that I'm hiring copywriters,
0: I, for the longest time, thought copywriters are lawyers. Figure <laughs> get out copyright laws. Like some of the projects that we picked up, there was this uh, guy called Ranjan Singh who was the marketing head at PVR and he called us because he our name was cool. And he told us that, will you make the film poster for this new movie that is coming up? And confidently, we we won the mandate and on. Okay, and I swear we walked out and we made calls saying, what, was that like your very first deal, the PVR deal? No, the first deal was this was this water filter of, of Suveer the friend in college. And they were trying to create a filter which did not require electricity. It was called Jaltara. And then we did like hoardings for this dance studio in Bombay called Arts in Motion. Those were the two first projects. And I think we still have that video that we made for Jaltara. It was the most atrocious looking video I have ever seen or made in life. But like another good LinkedIn post. <laughs> <laughs> another good LinkedIn post, like before and after. So he was is uh, is he's silly tall, he's six feet something. So he was holding the water filter at the hanging garden. And the only thing that we carried with us was, was ID cards from college because otherwise you're not allowed to shoot in public places. So even if the cops came, we would basically say, Sir, college project, hai, you know, chore etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. and it was it was very horrible in hindsight. But these are we had the ability to make mistakes. There was not concerted pressure on us to immediately deliver. Like even the PVR project, I swear on God, actually I walked out of that room after winning that project and said, "Dude, how do you make a movie poster? I have no idea. I don't know what software it is to be used. I don't know anything that we need to do." But once we got it right, like we've worked, very hard to deliver the best version of the work that we could at multiple steps of our time right yes we would oversell over commit over
2: everything but in lots of cases the reason that we survived so long is because we've also over delivered so the first few projects were essentially promotional content like it could be a poster or a video or basically like that was the kind of work you started doing and how much did you start earning that like was the earning Enough for you to decide, okay, let's do this full time.
0: No, no, no. We didn't earn substantial money for I don't know how long. I don't think we took structured salaries till 2013 or 12 or 14, something like that. We would pay ourselves in chunks. So if there is Diwali, we would take like 50,000, 60,000 bucks home. So we were making enough to survive, I guess. We were making enough to sustain. Like we could afford our phone lifestyle, like and our lifestyles are nothing crazy because we would be spending ninety nine point nine
2: percent of our time in office. Tell me about how the business grew. Like you started as a bunch of friends taking on projects. How did that grow into you having an office, you having a proper process for getting work, for delivering work, having team members? That journey. our first team members were people who studied
0: with us. We paid them in pen drives, we paid them in like like canteen treats and we paid them in. And, uh, pen drives are very expensive back in the day too. They used to cost a lot more than they cost even today. We were also these supremely enthusiastic kids. We had this uh, 100 slide digital presentation in early 2009 and everybody who was in our classes their sisters or brothers were working in MNCs. They were working in different companies. We would say, hey, we want a one hour meeting. Hey, we want a two hour meeting. And we would go and present this 100 slide deck on what they should be doing on digital. And they would just say, "Okay, go. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But we became the first access point to a lot of these big companies who understood digital through our name. So even though we didn't immediately get work, people started calling us and said, hey, listen, You made a presentation to us on digital. What can you come back and now tell us? Global is giving us pressure. Internationally, digital is becoming a massive trend. What is the C? Can you please tell us what we need to do on digital? And that's how we started to bag our first few clients. And once that client base started to come to us, we were the ones making the most number of case studies. And honestly, because we didn't come from advertising backgrounds, we didn't even know advertising structures. For the longest time, we didn't have a client servicing team because whenever we interviewed client servicing people, they were too expensive. So we said, bro, we can't afford these people already. So we client servicing. Like in the sense, the creative person is the client servicing person. You know, so we did a lot of these juggardum things. I remember L'Oreal came to us and said, we want to put you on a retailer. So we said, cool. Then we called everybody we knew. He said, how do you make a retailer, boss? Like, what is this? What is the process? What the hell does a retailer need? So um, everything for us was an organic journey where we learned, we built a lot of systems, we built a lot of processes because we had no other option.
2: How was the business doing? Like, in terms of what kind of revenue did you make, like, 2010, 11, 12?
0: Like, probably under a crore of rupees. Uh, we were doing in 2009, 2010. I think 70, 75 nights. I think we did about, 1.8 to 2 crore rupees in 2010, 11. I think by 13, we were handling lots of media mandates. So we started to do scale business then. Like in 2013, we would, I know we were doing 14, 20 crore rupees of business. And what do you mean by media mandates? Like, we were buying media. Yeah? L'Oreal was a media business. Castrol was a media business. Some part of the media that we were buying for category. So we were buying YouTube views. We were buying Google AdWords. We were buying Facebook AdWords. So we were doing a lot of the digital media planning and buying for these companies. And therefore, the billing went up fairly, very high for all of these brands in 2012-13 is when Men started to side it, between 2011 to 2013, I think we moved from 70 people to 300 people. And we used to have ganas uh, in the office space that was an industrial mill. And we got in with one gana over there in, I think, 2011 or twelve, And by 2013, we had about 14, 15 of them on the same floor.
2: There were no investors that you had to answer to
0: we still don't have an
2: investor structure
0: we are still self-funded we're still debt free so we've taken a 64 000 rupees and grown it into a 250 odd crore plus business we've completely just reinvested everything i don't know what an investor pressure looks like like i mean i don't know what any of those things actually even me and our ability to make these mistakes learn unlearn. In 2015, we went back to 180-200 people because we were overstaffed. We were, you know, not an efficient organization. We had too many people in the junior and the senior ecosystem, not enough leadership. And how much can I do? How much can my business partners do? Like at some point in time, the system needs to work. And that's when we understood leadership. We understood culture. We were able to put a finger on what kind of an organization we were building.
2: So these 300 people that you hired, they were like, Content creators and probably people who would do media buying, like people with some sort of analytical bent of mind who will look at analytics and manage ad spends and people who have a creative bent of mind who would create? Creative people, designers, copywriters, account management people, media planning
0: people, SEO people, like search people. They were buying specialists. We had started business development teams. We had started HR teams, right? Then finance became a part of the process because suddenly you could not just go to any software which gave you five free bills and make another one and send it over there and and change it in a PDF editor. All of those things are not possible. So a lot of the sub functions of what we call corporate costs and corporate overheads started to organically happen because the business became that big that we really had to to hire these people. And that was another whole journey. And then early on 2013-ish We were starting to get approached by all network agencies who wanted to buy us because they were not able to win those businesses back from us. All the L'Oreal's, the Castrol's of the world, they were not able to win those businesses back once they were with us. None of these companies wanted to move to them again. So they said "In in their typical corporate thing, if you can't win it, then buy them. So when that started to happen and then people wanted to do due diligence, we had to submit our numbers in a certain way. So automatically we had to reorganize our business. I'm very fortunate to have come out learning those lessons.
2: So uh, tell me about uh, uh, hiring then. What was the way in which you started hiring? And what worked, what did not work? We were the coolest place to work in. So all of the great talent that we knew from college,
0: two, three batches, our junior, our batch, one or two batches, our senior, they all came and worked with us. Like we have hired people because our first office was next to Sterling Cinema in Bombay, right? And our first office didn't have a bathroom. So we used to, go to, we used to go to Sterling to pee and there was this one, one guy called Neville who worked with us I think eight or nine years. We know him since college. Neville had come to see a movie at Sterling. A couple of us have gone to pee. We met him. He was walking out of the film. We dragged him by the collar, took him to office and two years later he joined us and he was with us for nine years. We were not doing the conventional so people were already interested, already knew of our right? And we used social media to really profess that.
2: Did that approach scale? Like your approach was a lot based on instinct and gut. Like you liked somebody, you thought he's a cool guy to spend time with. Does that scale? It scales, but after a certain point, you need to go back and figure out what
0: is the method of that gut. There is a methodology that even your gut follows. What we call gut is just are experiences telling us to do something or not to do something. If you actually track back and hindsight is always twenty twenty, and you try to figure out this methodology behind the gut, it becomes systems and processes that you're able to institute inside the organization. Because I'm not going to be there,
2: I don't have all of the information to use my gut to make these decisions at scale. So what is your hiring philosophy? Do you hire purely for value systems and personal fitment or do you hire for relevance of experience or do you have some sort of assessment of skills in the hiring process? I mean, we
0: have a skill assessment. We have tests for every department that that exists. My personal hiring philosophy is very different of that of the organization. I hire more for for the emotional skills as opposed to just the hard skills. For us in lots of cases, great experience has not been able to deliver at all. Like we've not, we've actually had the opposite problem. Experience has more often than not backfired in our systems. Like they have not been able to understand the culture. They've not been able to become one. And I think that with, with today's workforce, having a very high EQ is more important than having a very high IQ. And I keep telling this to everybody when you come in leadership roles, it's not what Akshay can do or what Pratik can do individually. You've arrived at a leadership role because nobody is questioning your ability to deliver. What you're being paid for today is for you to get other people to deliver at your standard at the very least and at the organization standard at, as a step up from there. If you don't have the ability to raise an army, right, to get the army to work with you, work for you, to really belong to you, this generation will cancel you. So how Suveer and I do it is that Suveer is fairly black and white like that. So he goes and he has the technical rounds, as we call it. And I have a culture and EQ kind of around with the person. So I have a completely dis- different set of questions. I want to know that person's journey. I want to know how he deals with the people in the system. I want to know how he deals with authority. I want to know what he thinks of leadership. I'm asking those softer aspects, but I also, because I am that emotionally charged as a person, I also tend to believe that there is room for growth with a lot of people, which sometimes I shoot myself in the foot and therefore make poor hiring choices.
2: Okay. So you told me you grew too fast around that 12, 13, 14 period, and eventually you decided to scale down the headcount. What were the symptoms that you were seeing that you're not able to cope up with the growth? And what did you learn about growth? from that experience. We were too sad, Taksha. Like we had a lot of people
0: doing similar or similar roles. We didn't have systems, processes. We didn't have the ability to know what these people were actually doing in the system. So we grew too fast because for us, we used to hire 10 people and we had work for 20 people. The problem is that the junior executive, the manager, and the person who was heading the department all three of them have joined at the same time. So it's
2: like almost like the blind leading the blind. What were the symptoms that you needed to cut Was it a profitability that you saw your profitability is coming down or was it more like a gut feel that we have too many people?
0: No, profitability came down. The culture became very impersonal. Like from knowing every person, we were now walking into rooms where we didn't know people, where we didn't know why they were there, where we didn't know what business they were servicing. And if we don't know it at that size and scale, they don't know who this organization is, and we're not a manufacturing business. Where you say that production ten times bigger, do you know you have fifty more people to to do it? They are a very culturally sensitive, very like if you have a good culture for those three or five years in in an advertising agency, the work is just one hundred and fifty times better. So what we were seeing is that there were cohorts of great work, there were cohorts of average work, there were cohorts of people who didn't give a shit. So so what started happening? They said. We needed homogeneous ways of working. We needed a homogeneous kind of people in the system. It is easy to run a 40-50% organization, Actually, it's, it's not difficult. Out of the 40-50 people, even if you have 30% who are phenomenal, right, your organization can, can be amazing in today's day and age more than ever because the collective of these people just don't come together. But now that you have a lot more people who are Average, your organization is average, right? So we had to reclassify, like I said, get HR, get finance, get processes. So it was a complete recalibration. And yes, because we were recalibrating a lot of these revenue per headcount, profitability, what is the team costing us? What is my overhead cost? What is my salary cost? What is the average salary of a media team? What is the average salary of a social media team? All of these things started to come out because you we were asking the questions. So it was just a reset button that we had to hit.
2: Yeah. And how did you do the culling?
0: No, it was But organic. Some of the people who just didn't make the cut didn't make the cut. People were quitting on their own. We also were having real conversations, honest conversations. We didn't have any zoom massacres. <laughs> 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 None of those, yeah. None of those. And I don't think that in our line of business, you can survive one of those LinkedIn moments. Like you can't be looked upon as an organization that really is that harsh. And we were not harsh. We were really nice and human about it. Most of the people who came back, they worked with us. We explained what the issue was and
2: it was all right. And meanwhile, how was the business evolving? So you started with making promotional content and for digital presence, and then you started managing ad spends, digital ad spends for these brands. Just talk to me about the evolution of the services that you were into, which is also like the evolution of the space. So it
0: was social media retainers. Facebook used to allow you to do these apps, right? Like, you you to do like a pixel app. You used to do like these quiz apps. Uh, you had the ability to use the tag feature to build apps. So really, the app and the technology business, especially inside of Facebook, to drive social conversation became a really big thing for us. Our media practice became a really big thing for us. People were now asking for video content a lot more. Managing ads friends became a became fairly big for us. Video production became a thing that people would would ask for. Influencers we were doing since two thousand nine, two thousand ten. The term influencers was also not there when we started doing it. Then Google came up with this thing called Google Class. It had it a short experiment. It had hackouts. And then there was, we did this one campaign, I remember, with a Google Glass, which I still have. So a lot of these technology interventions to grow communities, media interventions to grow communities, multimedia assets that you were creating to grow these communities really became very important. Facebook became big. Then Instagram became big. And then the entire overall strategy, right, because now there was attribution, you had the ability to know what your cost for lead is. Now the media metrics of digital started to become homogeneous for everyone. Everybody knew what the CPM was, CPV was, and then moved from an education space. So more also, I want to scale this sort of a space, right? And that's where a majority of our people were also deployed for most of our clients.
2: Okay. Okay. You told me that networks like bigger agencies were coming to you for acquisition talks. What happened? Like We had a term sheet signed with WPP since
0: 2013 to 2018. Uh, we were 24 years of age and the numbers that were being spoken about were enough for a couple of lifetimes. So we were just like, dude, what's going on? Why are people giving us so much money? What the hell did we do
2: with so much money? But what does this mean? You had a term sheet signed from... 2014 to 2018. Like what's the four year period here? Like, So four of us started Foxy. Four partners, business
0: partners started Foxy. And two of them exited during this period. So we signed a term sheet and one partner exited and, and started his own agency and all of those rubbish things happened.
2: Why did they exit before the sale? I mean, no, he signed the term sheet and exited. Okay, okay. So the money would have come to them.
0: Yeah, but there were non-compete clauses. Probably didn't want a non-compete clause. Also told us, He's not going to be in the advertising business, wants to get away from the advertising business, but was obviously already working towards setting up his own
2: agency. This was also when that 300 became 180, like around the same time when the other founders were departing. Coincidentally, Akshay, yes, but really that was not the
0: reason why it became 300 to 180. Like, so it was that a lot of change was happening. So for us, it became a good period to make the change happen because really, our systems and processes were not there. Were we ready to handle 300 people? By a long shot, we were not ready to handle 300. And obviously, then WPP came and told us, and listen, we need to wait it out because our business is purely a people's business. Right? So we need to know what, what is the effect on
2: business? What's going to happen? There's that saying, "Tali doha could there be negligence on your part also that made him walk away, like in hindsight?
0: Actually, we walked away because what he said is that the system is not perfect, but we make the system. And if you've created a mess, you've bloody well put your head down and clean it up. I mean, if you ask me today, is the system perfect? I'll tell you no. If you ask me 10 years from today, if you think the system is perfect, I'll tell you no. Because that's my job. My job is to make a better, more efficient, more coherent, better culturally sound organization. And I always keep finding newer and better ways to doing it. Like everything is not going to come to you in a plate. So it's always easy to start from zero. But it's very difficult to put your head down, grind it out and really do what requires to clean the house. Cleaning the house is very, very difficult. Building a new one is very easy. When my second partner exited, he had some family issues and he had to exit. There was no other way out. So he exited and they said, okay, we'll wait for another two years. Then like both of these people became best friends and then we were negotiating. Our shares were given to landlords. Every bloody thing happened that could have happened. I have never said these things publicly. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's time that everyone knows it was really done poorly. Like everybody's future was was always hanging for those four years. We didn't know what the hell is going on. Are we doing the deal? Not doing the deal? We are committed because even he signed a term sheet. So he's negotiating directly with WPP. Everybody is negotiating. I didn't know who was controlling my destiny. Like I was definitely not controlling my destiny. But like WPP was great about it. They were trying their best to, to ensure that this works out because... We were integrated into their systems because for them to reinvent in the digital ecosystem, they needed people like us, like for us to learn systems and processes. We, need, we needed institutions like them because what would take us five, seven, eight, ten 10 years to learn, we would learn in one or two years because they've already been through the grind. They've spent the 40, 50 years building, building a network of agencies, right? Like you look at another solution and you're like, dude, this seems so simple to implement. You implement it. Then two years later, you realize what are the flaws in those systems. And then you go back to what these guys have done. Eventually, we had to get rid of this this baggage that was following us for the last four years. We're gonna do this on our own. We clean our own house. Get these guys to exit. You got them out. The other two co-founders. No, they just wanted copious amounts of money that didn't exist. So we're not. They still came to be shareholders in the company that doesn't exist.
2: Oh, okay. So you like started a different entity and then moved all the business there.
0: That's what they did. That's exactly what they did. So I can't be held responsible for everybody's actions. So if that's the path you've taken, that's the path I can take.
2: But during this time, you continued to win business uh, or was it impacting your ability to go and get business and grow the uh, business? So we were growing 100% year on year.
0: We built agencies and have become best in class. Business was never an issue outside.
2: Like I don't know how many times I've already said this. Because you were going to be a WPP agency, that would have also allowed you to get more clients. Yes, we had a lot of clients that we built together. But
0: the day we told WPP no, then they rightfully took away all those clients from us. We came out of the whole WPP relationship. Subir so and I were very sure of the vision that we had. Like we chose Group M because we understood media and we did a lot of media. But you know, we were looked upon as a creative agency as Hoxie. But we realized that. Creative and media has to come together in the digital ecosystem. And also, what we started to understand, Akshay, is that at Foxy, we decided to become a 360 degree agency. Every agency during the 2013 to 16, 17 was trying to become a, a 360 degree agency, but you can't become a 360 degree agency and be best at everything you do. So we would do three, four, five crore rupees of video work, but were we the best video agency out there? No. Like if you told me to go shoot something, which is a 1 crore rupee uh, production, I didn't have the capability of the chops to do it because it's a cash flow business. No other transfer business, you can afford 70, 80 lakh rupees of 60 lakh rupees of salaries. After that, you're, you're always investing basis cash flow versus when you are building businesses, you need to build businesses basis investment. So when we built this network structure, we realized that these verticals of excellence we have to build, acquire, or do joint ventures with. And these are formal associations right these are not these business development agreements that you know that most agencies had these are equity positions so so we said that we want to be able to own best in class agencies or build best in class agencies so we will be finally walked away from WPP decided to chase this network blueprint that we have written and I think this is about now about almost four years ago and four years since building our, we've been building our own network we now have 11-12 agencies as a part of this network a lot of them have become best in class in what they do. A lot of them are acquisitions, which are now coming into the market. And these are proper, you know, like majority acquisitions. These are like so proper MA and And we have joint ventures and partnerships with, with other areas of expertise. So we've built this network that we think is the future of digital networks. And it, it's working. We're now internationally present. We're making acquisitions and deals in the US. We're making them in the Middle East. Because this network model works and just like we set a trend for a lot of these other things now, every agency wants to become a network who is
2: independent. So uh, I want to understand uh, first traditional ad business stakeholders. So I, for example, my understanding of marketing is based on what I see digital startups doing where creative and media is the same thing. I mean, you can't, you need to see how your creative is doing to make it better. So both these things are done by the same team only. So uh, I'm not able to really imagine that world which must have existed previously. Can you paint a picture to me on how the traditional agency was set up? Like you said, some agencies are more on creative, some are more on media. So what are those different verticals in which agencies specialize? What was that traditional act business? What did that look like? So I think in the 1970s, uh, you know, like
0: Ogilvy would do creative and media buying and everything that comes from there. But as agencies started to consolidate with networks, what networks start to realize is that they have a better buying power if they're able to buy as a singular entity, right? So if Ogilvy is buying 50 crores of hoardings and JWT is buying 50 crores of hoardings and five other agencies and WPP are all buying 50 crores of hoardings, now they have individual contracts with all of these people. Versus they go and say that, hey, I'm going to be one person who's guaranteeing 500 crore rupees to you. Buying power increases, ability to negotiate better rates increases. Also, the mindset is steady, right brained or left brained. Like, creative is completely on one side and and media buying is all on one side. Like, we used to keep joking that creative is a PowerPoint business and media planning is an Excel sheet business. And, And bridging both of these things together becomes a very difficult culture to actually sustain. So, in the 1980s, WPP split media and creative into two different cohorts internally. And then all the other networks followed. So GroupM today will do all the media planning and buying. So in India, they control 60-65% of all media inventory. So the reason that it becomes difficult to compete with them is because they will go and do like thousands of crores worth of deals with traditional advisors, right And then how do you compete with those rates? How do you compete with that? But obviously in digital, because it's bidable buying, because the role of creative on the, on the cost of click can be improved or can be worsened basis how your creative functions. It's a lot more homogeneous for us to actually compete. Otherwise, competing with the big four in terms of pure play, reserve buys, as we call it, front page of a newspaper, hoardings, theater advertising, TV spots, etc. becomes very difficult because they'll go and say, Tell Star Yellow, you know, I'm doing a 2,000 crore rupee deal with you versus I can't commit 20 crore rupees also to Star. So in that. I'm not even on the pecking order, right? So how do I go to a bigger client and win that business? Versus in digital, the role of creative on, on the cost of media versus the cost of media and the different kinds of creatives you create for different audiences also affect the want of
2: coming of these agencies together. So, so that's where this conversation is. Isn't a digital marketing agency inherently 360 degree? Like you said, you want it to be 360 degree. What were the pieces that you wanted to plug in?
0: No, so again, right, like, they wanted to either call us a creative digital shop or they wanted to call us a media digital shop. We could not say that I want creative and media to come together because they didn't know how to structure you. You need to have both these skill sets at equal proportions to actually succeed in the digital ecosystem. And it is very difficult because the mindset is different. A creative person is looking at spending a little bit more money to get a little bit more production value. Versus the media person is is doing everything to optimize the click by two more paisa. So the mindsets are very different. And to get these people on the same page is damn hard. So that's the narrative that we were chasing. And today, for example, we have the rabbit hole, which does all of Netflix's work in India, right? Now they're a production studio or a video studio, as they like to call themselves. We built that agency from ground up internally. Now it's become the largest and the best video solutions agency in the digital realm that exists. So again... We've done that. We started this agency called Polin, which was completely focused on influencers. Again, the top agency for influencer business in this country today. Again, homegrown after 2018. We made an acquisition of a, of an agency called the Starter Lab, which is working with all the D2C agencies and e-commerce and e-commerce-focused you know, focused businesses. We made an acquisition of a technology company called Noasis. We started a consulting company called Doino Inc. Uh, tell me about each of the... Well, if you could just spend a minute on each of these. No, this is an acquisition in the technology space. They do website, they do technology, they build products, they build solutions that integrate uh, the technology as the backbone for all media and creative that we actually do. Again, neither Suvir or me are technology founders as you quintessentially see them. Like We understand technology, but we cannot do anything with technology. So we require technology leadership in the system. So Siddharth became that pillar that we, we went out and make, made this acquisition of. Bit Siddharth, then, you know, we started this agency called Foscene with just as creative technology. So face filters, chatbots, to look use machine learning algorithms and build solutions for clients, which are a lot more front-facing. We've done that. We have a joint venture in the sporting ecosystem called TCM, a platform. So with them, we did the closing ceremony of the IPL Now. We did the auction. We did the chess Olympiad. With the, we did the event where, our prime minister was a part of it. We handle super giants, Gujarat titans. So it's a sports focused agency that works there. We have a joint venture with an events agency called XFAN. Now what we're doing over there also is that we're building the offline to online to offline sort of narrative for brands. So now there are about 10 or 11 of these agencies that have become a part of the network. Both Sweden and I believe that India's strike has come like we were setting up in the Middle East, the sentiment was very different versus now when we go into the Middle East, the sentiment is very different. If you're an Indian, you're given more than an equal seat on the table.
2: So I want to understand, like say you said that you built Rabbit Hole in-house as a video agency, why not just have it as a division? Why have it as an agency? What is the value of doing it? And how did you do it? Like, does it mean that you had a co-founder for that you needed an entrepreneurial mindset, an entrepreneurial bandwidth, which the two of you did not have. Therefore, you went that route. Or help me understand? No, no, no. So, Rishabh Khatare is the one who leads
0: this agency. He was a part of Foxy Moron. He was this talent is inbuilt. It's not like we went outside and found ourselves a, a co-founder. Like this was more of an entrepreneurial venture between him and us and all of that. I, I explained. I tried to explain this, Akshay. So, what happens is that in in Foxy, for example, right, we are generating a certain amount of cash for this business. And while we're generating a certain amount of cash for this business, we're using that cash as a benchmark to make investments. Versus if we start a business from scratch, you really have to be best in class. So suddenly for me, the rabbit hole had to go out into the market and build its own credibility, build its own business, hire the right kind of people to be able to do that. That mindset shift of being a division in an agency versus being an agency who is an expert in doing something is very different. It makes you take the kind of risks you need to take. It makes you hire people that you can't afford. It makes you go out in the market and be hungrier. Which a division inside my organization, they a business business So what do they have to do to really go to the next level? And that's a mindset shift. And also very different kind of talent and very different kind of culture. You start to unify A lot of these things like I will hire agency folk in Foxy Moron like I've always hired people versus rabbit hole requires a completely different mindset. So it also makes us see the same problem very differently because I am not resting on my laurels or the business I've already built. I have to go out there and do it even though Foxy Moron was one of the biggest contributors to the rabbit hole initially and Today they handle Netflix, today they handle Swiggy, they handle some of the biggest brands in the country from a content and editorial point of view. They would have never been able to achieve this if they were a division in Foxy. And the nuances seem so small, but they make the biggest impact. And we've seen it happen. Like one time you do it, Foxy could have been a stroke. The second time you do it with a rabbit hole, it could have been lucky. But now that we've done it with seven or eight agencies, there's obviously a lot more method to this madness than we make it seem. And... The network structure works because now Rabbit Hole is also a contributor to Foxymoron's business. Or Polin is also a contributor to Foxymoron's business. Each of these agencies on their own also become cedars into my funnel for business development. So it says see, I'm making this video, but it's creative pe execution social media conkarega. Yes, so media planning Then then Foxymoron gets involved. So the vision of our network at Zoom is to become the preferred network of choice for leading brands globally. So we're saying that it's not about a brand coming in and saying, I will work with Foxy. They must work with at least four agencies in our ecosystem. And even brands for that matter, they're seeking expertise in different agencies. Everybody is saying, Ki, I have video capabilities. Everyone is saying I have influencer capabilities. But do you have the influencer capabilities and the video capabilities that make you stand on your own to speak And now, the answer to the question is yes. Where will you go? You will eventually come in, into our zoo at some point and then we will tell you where to go.
2: And uh, Rishabh has a stake in Rabbit Hole. like who, who's heading it. We're
0: just about doing an ESOP policy for the first time. So there will be ESOPs that will be rolled out.
2: So when you acquire, in that case, do you give them cash and buy out a majority stake or do they get uh, shares in Foxy mm-hmm. How do you do the acquisitions? It's a cash plus business acquisition. So... It's about us giving them a little bit of
0: cash and also growing their business so that the value of their 100% shares is equal to the 49% or whatever it is that they own inside the organization. So it's a cash plus business deal in most cases. And if you, if you really loan M&A
2: correctly, it pays for itself over a period of time if the deals make sense. Tell me about your first acquisition. Like, were you nervous? I mean, you would have to take out money from the business and give it to a group of unknown people and it was a big bet today tell me about how you thought through that process and what you learned in that process we learned a
0: lot to be very honest like i mean for the first time we were on the buy side and not on the sell side so the the mindset completely changes and i think we've been all fortunate to have both sides of the conversation so you understand what a what an entrepreneur is looking on the other side what are the softer aspects he or she is looking for what is the value that he or she wants to derive what is the importance of the vision? What is the importance of how you systems and processes? So, because we were on the sell side for four years and still continued to protect that relationship for as long as we, as long as we protected the relationship, I think we started off as an advantage. Also, Soir and me are built in a way that if we are taking risks, we feel in control. The day we stop taking risks, we really feel nervous. So, because we were committing to do this, I felt like we were a lot better in control of our emotions and what we were doing. I think nervous energy is also great, right? Because it makes you a lot more aware. It makes you take the right kind of decisions more than more than anything. So so for me, that nervous energy was always translating into doing more, understanding the the emotional equation, what will it take to make the deal happen? What kind of integrations need to happen. So it was not we were not scared to give away cash or control or now work with newer partners because we had two exiting partners and, and that created a ruckus in our lives. They were actually more welcoming because now we had another layer of leadership inside of our network that was also self-motivated. So for us, we kept looking at the fact that I don't need to do the basics with these people. Like I don't need to continuously motivating them. The harder conversations that you have with an employee become a lot easier with a person who is
2: an entrepreneur, who has equity over there. Amazing. I guess the WPP experience, that's the silver lining in that cloud that it gave you that. It's the biggest game changer. I think those five years were the biggest game changer in both Suveer and my lives. So, so who are your competitors? Are there other like digital first agencies? I, I believe Miram would be one of them like in terms of competition for you. Lots of them yeah. there are.
0: There is the Glitch, there is Red Chutney, there is like a social connect. There are lots of these people in the in the ecosystem who keep coming and some of them have been very consistent in what they do. Great people, great founders, I think at multiple points in time, knowingly and unknowing, unknowingly, they keep pushing each other because somebody is doing something really well and then you are like, okay, this makes sense. Do it, pick up the phone, check with the person. And there's enough business for all of us to
2: tie with. So what is the scale that they are at? Like you, you told me you're at about 250 crores. Are there other agencies bigger than you, smaller than you, like? As a as an independent
0: network, Akshay, we're currently the largest in the country as an independent network. So there are other agencies who belong to networks who will be of a similar size, similar, similar structure, etc. But no, none independently or non-funded and existing who are our size for sure. But at some point in time this consolidation will happen because the stock market doesn't like service businesses because they're very asset-like. We don't own buildings and we don't own machinery and we don't own raw materials. So it becomes very difficult for them to quantify that. Right? And, and because a lot of these service businesses are very, very founder led and very, very team led, they think of them as fairly risky propositions. So listing is is an option. Acquisition is an option. But like again, right now we're focused on just doing right by our vision. I don't think that we've unlocked our vision close to what we think the potential is and Wherever it takes us, we're open, yeah. I think we just want to work with the right-minded people. We are fairly conscious of of really like flying our dry color fairly high across the world wherever we go. And for both Suheer and I, I think uh, we think that there are lots of people who have selflessly participated in this journey with us. And if not for ourselves, but for those people who believed in us and for those people who gave it their heart and soul, a pricing event as we call it, like I don't know if it would be, like equity sale or it could be take a acquisition or whatever the hell it will be. A pricing event will really be a very small, humble thank you from us to them. And also will make us sleep well at night because really, right, like they are as much our responsibility as we are. And they have done this selflessly with us. So so we we carry that 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 weight and responsibility very seriously because I think it's important to to make all of us cross the finish line together, like something that sport always teaches you. You can never win alone and you can
2: definitely never lose alone. So for me, that's a big one. And zo Media is your umbrella brand under which each of these agencies are housed. It's our network, yes. Yes. The vision is to make Zoomedia Media the WPP of India in a way. Like you want to continue to acquire more agencies and become a stronger bigger network.
0: Yes, it is to become a network, not in the way that those agencies are constructed. And and there's a lot of merit in doing what they are doing and lots of respect to them. It's just not our vision.
2: What is your role today as a founder? Is it largely about like setting goals, goal setting, resource allocation for the various businesses? Or What do you spend your time? So, Sarveen, I have a very clear way of doing this, uh, which we set up is
0: that I look at top line, he looks at bottom line. That's the primary. So I'm the BD guy. I go outside. I build the top line. And so we job is to look at profitability, is to look at those, those kind of metrics. Apart from that, since the network has grown, what we're, what we believe is one of our largest roles is stakeholder management. There are multiple stakeholders inside of the system to create systems and processes through which we can do effective stakeholder management. You know, I used to often wonder how these industrialists and large conglomerates or singular CEOs running 10 or 12 businesses always look at multiple businesses and are still able to grow and scale them when we were scaling foxy we were struggling with that and then i wondered what it is to run five businesses but the answer is discipline and process so so for us uh, for us we're setting up those processes and we are working on a daily basis with the stakeholders who are leading these businesses and ensuring that those businesses are scaling i mean growth is a problem not growing is a problem profitability is a problem top line is a problem each of the agencies have a different problem that we're dealing with every day. For example, global expansion. severe is completely looking at, right? So if he's gone there, then I'm looking at the India operations and then saying, you know, just go out there, do whatever the hell you need to do. Um, I got your back covered. You don't have to look at what's happening in India at the moment.
2: I want to understand why you would say no to clients. You said that you are now at a stage where 50% of the leads which come in, you have to say no to them, which I mean, somebody who, for example, runs a product business would, find that unimaginable that why would you say no can you help me understand that
0: because actually a the scale of the business needs to associate the people that are in our organization today we have the kind of leadership who's paid a certain amount of money for starters so there's a certain budget threshold below which we don't work also we're in a creative space right we really want to be working with with clients and brands that really excite us and if we find ourselves in the space where we can be a little picky and choosy with the kind of people we work because then it attracts the talent that comes and works with us because the talent now looks at the kind of clients you have, the kind of people that you have, this high pressure, always requiring to be creative sort of an environment really rubs off on everybody. And we also don't want to be a like thousand, two thousand, five thousand person agency. How we struggle to grow from seventy to three hundred and then have to restructure once that we once you cross Four, five hundred, you need to restructure again, you need to add in layers, you need to refilter. So that's where we're a little bit more picky and choosy. And sometimes you cannot always be in a growth and a consolidation stage at the same time. So Rabbit Hole for the last year was completely booked out. Everything that Rabbit Hole said, like we would bring to the rabbit hole, and Rabbit Hole was one of the most talked-about agencies in the last two years. Because again, we've been handling Netflix for three, three and a half odd years now. And You've seen what the kind of trajectory on the content side Netflix has taken on its digital assets. So everyone wants to work with rabbit hole. But boss, where do I get this talent? This talent has to come in learn its ways. So we said no to a lot of, it hurts, but sustainable businesses are fairly more, more important than just like businesses that, that
2: shoot up very fast and they go down very fast. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at thepodium.in. That's ad at thepodium.in.